Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's November 7th, 1874, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Even the hardcore fans of the revered political cartoonist Thomas Nast might have been just a bit baffled by the cartoon he produced for Harper's Weekly Today in History in 1874, given how loaded it was with animals and chasms and pieces of wood, each representing different aspects of a quite complex political saga, which I'm sure we'll get to. But the most interesting detail of that incredibly chaotic image was the portrayal of the Republican voter as an elephant, an artistic decision that's credited as the main reason why elephants represent the Republican Party to this day. Symbolically. Yeah. <laughs> Not on the ticket. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Arian, you say chaotic. I mean, surely the political symbolism wasn't lost on you. You must know that this cartoon refers to the Democrat-leaning New York Herald attempting to scare the Republican voting bloc with scaremongering about Ulysses S. Grant potentially taking on a third term as president. I mean, that's obvious before you even start labelling every single piece of the cartoon with a different thing. Yes, I love the cartoons. Yeah. They have so, every single thing has to yeah, be explained. Like, I'm like, well, this isn't really serving its purpose then, yeah. is it? <laughs> well, it's almost as if political cartoons from 1874 weren't designed to be looked at in the 21st century. But this one has significance um, because this was just before the midterm elections, then as now. Uh, good luck, everybody, tomorrow. Ulysses S. Grant was rumoured to be standing for a third presidential term. This was before you had the two-term limit for presidential candidates. And the editorial of the newspaper, the Harper's Weekly, which Nast was the cartoonist for, wanted to accuse Grant of Caesarism, mm. of building himself an empire like Caesar. So that's sort of the thrust of the cartoon. But, <laughs> but he does it in the most convoluted way possible. But the thing is, it's not supposed to be funny. And that's the thing, because like, I think of things like Peter Brooks in The Times now, which like mm. laugh out loud funny right it's not supposed to be funny his style of cartooning is it's supposed to be more like some aesop style parable i think mm. so it's like you read his cartoons every week and you begin to understand how each animal represents each different point of view and you know this was a time when you'd get your weekly newspaper once a week and think about it for seven days it's not supposed to be a quick fix yeah like we think of cartoons yeah. now yeah. yeah, this is the thing is that Nast and other cartoonists had previously used animals as stand-ins for parties. But as you say, Ollie, it was all about fables and parables. So if you thought the Democrats were being sneaky, you might draw them as a fox. But then, you know, the next week, if you thought they were being courageous, you might draw them as a lion. There was no idea that you would look at an animal and think, oh, it's this party because that animal represents the party. The caption of it reads, The third term panic, an ass having put on the lion's skin, roamed about the forest and amused himself by frightening all the foolish animals he met within his wanderings. So you have this picture at its heart, which has a donkey dressed up as a lion. This donkey is meant to represent like the pro-Democrat 
press that are getting all kind of riled up about the prospect of Grant running for a third term, which he didn't do, at least at this stage. And so they're kind of, they're spreading this this news that is spooking all the animals around them. And, and all of the animals in this image have a significance, including a sort of ostrich with its head in the sand, a cowardly fox, which represents the Democratic Party. No points for guessing uh, which side of the political fence Nast sits on. And then you have this elephant. And that is the important thing about this. So it symbolizes the Republican vote. And the concern that he's trying to convey is that the Republican voters are going to be spooked by this whole business of trumped up fear mongering on the part of this other newspaper, and that they will somehow then not do the right thing in the midterms, uh, (laughs) because they're concerned that their party leader of choice is going to do this non-democratic thing by running for another term in the presidency. I mean, it's so complicated. This is why if you ever see, you know, Mitt Romney or Jeb Bush asked by a child, why is the emblem of the Republican Party an elephant? <laughs> Their best advice just say, it's complicated. Yeah. It's complicated. It is. <laughs> Look yeah. on the internet. <laughs> well, after this cartoon, Nast broke with past tradition, you know, of using just different animals based on what message you're trying to convey. And he used the elephant to represent the Republican vote or the Republican Party seven more times in 18 months. And that really sealed the link. At a time when Harper's Weekly was one of the big American magazines, millions of Americans bought and consumed these magazines every week. And cartoonists were particularly influential because they often, you know, in the age before photography was particularly widespread, they would often illustrate their front cover with a cartoon. It would be right Mm. slap bang in the middle. So it would be shaping the national conversation, even among people who didn't even read the magazine. Mm. He was doing $150 to do a double page cartoon and sometimes there'd be three or four of his cartoons in an issue Mm. $150 I mean Frankly, you know, if a, if a cartoonist now told you they were earning $150 for a cartoon, yeah, you'd tell us, pretty good. right? Yeah. <laughs> he was a really interesting guy as well because he was first employed at Harper's in 1862 during the American Civil War. He was age 22 at the time. But he initially wasn't recognised as a satirist. What he would draw would be sentimental domestic scenes with a sort of pro-union undertone. So, you know, a, a soldier arriving home from the war at Christmas, that kind of thing. The kind of thing that would appeal to a northern wartime audience. And a lot of aspirational African-Americans as well, which is another thing because... I mean, Aaron, you said earlier he was clearly a Republican, mm. but back in these days, he was also a northerner, which meant he was anti-slavery mm. and pro-emancipation for black people. So it's like looked at now as a Republican cartoonist. He's not necessarily drawing what you'd expect. Yeah, I mean, what seems to have changed for him was the assassination of Abraham Lincoln and then his replacement by the vice president, who is really one, Andrea Johnson, one of the worst presidents in US history, often near the bottom of historians' rankings. He was basically a real Southern apologist. He didn't hold the rebellious states to account. He wasn't very interested in making life any easier for the emancipated slaves. And this is the point where Nass seems to have something seems to have flipped in him and his unsparing caricatures of the new president created a new image for him as this biting political wit to be feared. Mm. I mean, he was a Lincoln Republican and he was was really interesting worldview because he was really sympathetic to the plight of black Chinese and Native Americans, but he was almost comedically anti-Irish. Like he saw the Irish who in the northern cities tended to vote Democrat, he saw them as being part of the oppressor class. And his cartoons depicted them horribly as drunken, feckless, violent, bigoted savages. Mm. Yeah, there was another moment in his uh, cartooning life where he did this cartoon of the Electoral College Commission, which 
took this very controversial position, uh, deciding the presidency in favour of the Republican Rutherford B. Hayes in a an election that was much contested because, like a number of recent elections, the popular vote had been won by the losing candidate as well as a number of states, or at least there are a number of states that were in dispute, which called for this election college commission to weigh in on, and they basically decided that the Republican had won, even though history doesn't look terribly kindly on this. But anyway, his cartoon had uh, this picture of a wounded elephant, the Republicans, at the grave of the Democratic tiger, and it was entitled Another Such Victory and I Am Undone. Yeah, and in that cartoon, Nast was depicting the Democrats as a tiger because he hadn't fully committed to depicting the Democrats as donkeys. And this is not an association that he invented. The first Democratic donkey, as it were, was Andrew Jackson, in the sense that his opponents labelled him a jackass during the election of 1828. And this was a time when jackass was pretty ripe language. But it backfired massively because Jackson had, we talked about this before in our episode on the, the riot at the White House, he had this man of the people image. He was going to drain the swamp in Washington. He turned the insult on its head by embracing the qualities of the donkey, yeah. humility, steadiness, determination, that put him in contrast with his opponents that he was depicting as this out-of-touch elite. And he even used, on his posters, he would use the jackass. But it was Nash's eventual embrace of the donkey as byword for the Democrats that sealed the animal as a party symbol. Although what's really interesting I think, is that the Republican Party's official logo is a red elephant, even though in NAS cartoons and others, it was rarely used in a positive sense, mm. whereas the Democrats have never officially embraced the donkey symbol. I think it speaks to the fact that NAST was a Republican. You know, the elephant can be clunky and meandering and a bit uh, irrelevant because it's old, I suppose. But it's also intelligent and impressive yeah. and massive and strong. Whereas a donkey is nobody's favourite, is yeah. it? Yeah, and for a party that styles itself as the grand old party, it seems entirely yeah. appropriate. The grand old elephant yeah. was their original suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a curious detail of the Republican elephant, which is actually copyrighted by the Republican Party. I think you are allowed to take a picture of an elephant without giving the Republican party. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But the particular one that we probably have in mind that's uh, half yeah. blue, half red, and it has stars on it, just uh, prior to the first year of George W. W. Bush's administration in the year 2000, with a very little fanfare, they flipped the stars so that they are now points down. But they did it with not very much notice and not very much explanation. And it was because on the flag, the points of the stars all do point down. And they were worried that the image that they were sending with their logo was of an inverted flag, which obviously signals either some sort of panic or distress. I'm not surprised they didn't give that a lot of fanfare. Well, They're not going to so. put a press release about that, are they? <laughs> Especially if you've got George W. Bush having to defend it. Yeah. They're probably like, let's wait till we have a dyslexic candidate who just won't notice and then let's just, just get it done. <laughs> Tomorrow. So the idea that one bullet would go yeah. through two people does seem a little bit far-fetched, but then also like yeah. the bullets are probably a lot bigger. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 